look at Stephen today. We've been looking at different characters in the Bible. And today, we're going to look at Stephen. And the question is, boy, who is this Stephen? Who is this Stephen? And I think that's a very important question that all of you should be asking in a sense. Who is Stephen? Stephen is just a man. And as it said about David, I think we can say it about Stephen. A man after God's own heart. A man who loves the Lord. Oftentimes we take very little or think very little of someone when they say, I'm just a servant of the Lord. I want you to know, if you count yourself a servant of the Lord, you stand in a higher position than a pastor, elder, Sunday school teacher. Because you're the one that makes it really work. The servant of the Lord. It is the servant of the Lord that is in the trenches for the Lord every day in your workplace. Serving the Lord. It is the servant of the Lord that doesn't withdraw. But he's in the heat of the battle. Sometimes the king gets to stay up on the hill. Sometimes the king gets to stay back. And sometimes the pastor's in his office. Sometimes the pastor's doing some other things. Speaking of, But the reality of who is advancing the kingdom of God are the servants of God. You're the ones really carrying the work, in a sense, to the enemy. You're the one invading the enemy's territory. You're the one that the enemy really wants to destroy. You're that advancing army of the living God that is going forth into territories unknown, in a sense. You are the servant of the living God. Now, need to understand, Stephen loves the Lord and serves him faithfully. The most valuable asset that God looks for in a believer's life is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. Ask yourself this question, how faithful are you to him? Now, I want to make a little difference here. I'm not talking about faithful to your beliefs. Faithful to him. See, people can miss church, do a bunch of other stuff, and still say, I'm faithful to what I believe. That's true. And we see it every day. Oh, I'm faithful. To what I believe in. Are you faithful. To him. To him. See. I just don't want to be faithful. To marriage. Catch catch this now. I don't just want to be faithful to marriage. I want to be faithful to Elaine. And Elaine knows I'm faithful to her. Not to just the the belief of marriage. Do I want to be faithful? I want to be faithful to her. And oftentimes we get that confused spiritually. We're faithful to our beliefs. But if we look at our walk with him. It's lacking. Because we're not faithful to him. Stephen. In Philippians 1.6 it says. And I want you to be able to identify. We've been looking at verses before we look at the person. To see if we can identify. Some of the scriptural texts. That's in that individual's life even. Because I believe that they are. Because if it's for me. It was for Stephen also. If God says that he will continue a good work in me. From the time I accept Christ. That means 
the same thing holds true with who? Stephen. And I should be able to see that. And he says, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Does Stephen show confidence in the God that he believes? You want to be able to see that. That Stephen shows confidence. Do you show confidence in the God that you say that you believe in? The God that says, boy, he saved you to the uttermost. Do you have confidence in that God? Secondly, Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Do you really believe your works will follow you? That what you're doing and imparting into somebody's life, whether it be a grandchild, whether it be a niece, a nephew, that whatever you're doing in the life of a neighbor or a co-worker, that you're imparting something into them, that even when you go and you're no longer there and you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, that there will be a work that will continue to go on. Because God used you to help plant a seed. Because God used you to bring someone to a saving knowledge of himself. That God used you to disturb the heart of somebody. And will your work yet follow you? Do you believe that? Thirdly, Ephesians 16 and 18. Making the most of every opportunity. We want to see Stephen make the most of an opportunity that was given unto him even out of wrongness. Let me share something with you. When bad things happen in our life, it's still an opportunity to glorify God. Understand that. When bad things are happening in your life and in your world, It's an opportunity for God to shine. And it's an opportunity for you to stand up and say, as one said earlier, x-rays were saying one thing, something else. The issue is, whose report will you believe? Will you believe God's or the other? What will you believe? And he says, making, boy, most of every opportunity. Whether it be good or bad. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. In other words, when the opportunity is there, don't act what? Foolish or worldly. And I've been there too. For I was not aware of what God was doing. And God has brought this person into my life. God's allowing this thing to happen. And I'm up here joking and doing this and doing that when I should be in tune with the Holy Spirit. To what God's will is for this meeting, for this occasion, for this opportunity. And he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is in this. Seeking God's will. Seeking God's will in your life. Understanding what God wants to take place. Did Michael stumble in here by accident today? No. God meant for him to be here. We don't stumble into places. God directs our lives. Even when we are not aware that he's what? Directing our lives. Michael, I'm not just pointing you out. That's all of us. We just don't stumble in. And he says, understanding the Lord's will is. And then he says, now, don't be drunk on wine. Now, don't be so involved with the things of the world that you're missing who? God. In the situation. In the opportunity of what God wants you to do. How God wants you to do. Every time 
somebody walks into D's office, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to serve them with their fleshly needs of insurance, investments, whatever it may be. But it's an opportunity to show the love of Christ. And to even take time and hear their woes. And before you answer, God give me the correct answer for them. Give me wisdom to speak to them. Because it's more than just being a servant from a worldly perspective. But a servant on a godly perspective. And every time we have an opportunity to serve somebody, we need to ask, God, what's your purpose in this? What am I going to learn? What am I going to give? What am I going to receive? And he says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, and this is where he wants us to be, be filled with the Spirit. Be an alert to the Spirit. Align the Spirit to talk to me about God's will. That I can understand. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Because God has set it up. God has arranged this. God has allowed me to walk into this office. God has allowed me to walk into this home. God has allowed me to walk into this life. God has placed me here. This is an opportunity for God. (coughs) In Hebrews 6, 10 through 12, it says, God is not unjust. He's not. A lot of us may think he is. Because we think we should have this and we should have that and we should have that. God, let me say something. He really does bless his faithful servants. You won't know how good God is until you fully surrender to him and serve him faithfully. You'll be surprised what he does. And if you haven't served God faithfully, I would challenge you to do it for three months and see what God does in your life. Take up the challenge. If you come back in three months and say God hasn't done anything, then God is dead. But if you would ask God to reveal himself and show himself to you, he'll do it. And you ask him to work in your life, you may not like the work he does, but he'll do it. He'll do it. And he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your what? Your works. God's not going to forgive what you do on his behalf. God's not going to forget what you do to advance the kingdom. God is not going to forget you while you're standing there witnessing and everybody's making fun of you. God hasn't forgotten you. And he says, he will not forget your works and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. Catch that. The love you have shown who? Him. As you help his people. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? If you do it to the least of these, you have done it unto who? Unto me. Unto me. And sometimes when we think we're helping people, we grow tired and weary of. No, we're showing God's what? God's love. See, the love you have shown. We're showing God's love when we help other people, when we minister to other people, when we assist other people. We're showing God's kindness and his love. And he goes on, you help his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very, what? End. See if Stephen shows that diligence to the very end. See if Stephen does that. Is his focus on himself or is his focus on the people that he's serving? Even to his very end, 
What would be your end? If you're in the nursing home, can you witness? Yes. While I'm on my bed in the nursing home, expecting to die, I can witness. I remember a gentleman telling me, and I was looking at him, and he was in his final hours. And he said, Gus, what you're looking at is the shell. And the shell's going to die. But on the inside, I'm jumping like a little child waiting to see Jesus face to face. Boy, that's something. We're looking at somebody dying and, and the body may be in pain and the body can't do much. But on the inside, there's that creature on the inside that is jumping for joy. I'm going home. I'm going to see my Savior. I'm going to see the kingdom. I'm going to see that place that God has prepared for me that eyes have not seen, no ears have heard about. I'm excited. I'm going home. And he says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end of life in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become what? How many of us become that? On our way home, we get lazy. On our way home, we say, I've done enough. On our way home, we feel I shouldn't have to do another thing. I didn't pay my dues. On my way home, sometimes we get lazy. We say, boy, I'm 70 years old. It's time to quit. See, Moses didn't get started until he was 80. See, but on my way home, we get lazy. Don't get lazy. Don't use your age for an excuse to not do God's work. Do it fervently. Do it with all your might. It may not be the might of a 20-year-old, but there's something left. Surrender it to God and give it to him. Don't grow lazy, but imitate those who through faith and practice inherit what has been promised. Imitate those. And we have this great cloud of witness that has gone on before us who are an example for us that we can imitate. Now, a quick look at Stephen. And you find this all in Acts chapter 6 and right around verse 5. A very quick look here at Stephen. One, he's not an apostle. Take note of that. He's not an apostle. Stephen don't really have a title. But I want you to catch the power in his life. Because oftentimes we think all power somehow resides magically in the pastor. No. No. God isn't concerned about titles. Like I said earlier, he's concerned about faithfulness. You can take bishops, apostles, and all this other stuff and throw it out the window because when you stand before God, he's not going to call most of us apostles, bishop, elder this. He's not worried about them titles. And we get all caught up with titles issues rather than the work. And Stephen didn't have to wait for somebody to assign him a task. Stephen understood he was a witness for the Lord. And Stephen understood the power of the Holy Spirit residing in him. And that the Holy Spirit wanted to use him greatly for the Lord. And all he had to do is to surrender. Surrender. He's one of the seven chosen to work with the distribution of food. Well, some folks would say, huh, that's some heavy work. You don't want me doing that. 
Uh-uh. Now, I'll come up and speak for you. I ain't handling no food. I ain't going to be waiting on other folks trying to give them a plate to eat. That don't seem to be important. That doesn't seem to be the type of job that I was born for. I was born for something more than just distributing food. Stephen had no problem accepting the task when he was chosen. When he was chosen. Remember what the Lord says, if you're faithful in the small things, he'll make you ruler over much more. And he says, he is filled with the spirit and wisdom. Now, I want you to connect those two things. Spirit and wisdom. You'll never have uh, wisdom without God's spirit. And I want you to see Stephen using the wisdom of God as the Holy Spirit speaks through him. Now there's a job that Stephen had to do just like we have to do. The psalmist says, I hid the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against God. And I hide the word in there that I'm ready, in season, out of season, being ready to give people an answer. From the word of God. But then when the Holy Spirit really wants to use me to say something that's not even written to a person. Am I so in tune with the Spirit that I can voice that? And the Holy Spirit will use me to voice that. And we're going to look at Stephen's that exact moment in a sense. Not that the Holy Spirit's not using him all the way through. But we'll see the one part where Stephen has prepared himself for. And then the other part where the Holy Spirit takes over. And he says, he is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Look at the description of this man. No title. No one really of importance per se. But look how God is using him. And it says he is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Will we see Stephen exercising his faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to use him? He is full of God's grace and favor. Will we be able to see that? God given him favor and power. He does perform great wonders and miracles and signs among the people. He's out among the people. He wasn't a sign, you go to this group or you go over here or you go over. He took it upon himself to get out among the people and show them the greatness of his God. Stephen understood he was a witness for Jesus. It was not about a thing of, look at me. Look at me. A lot of us get into service for the Lord and the issue is, look at me. Look who I am. Look how well dressed I am. Look what I do. Look at this. Look at that. It's not about me. It should be all about who? Jesus. See if Stephen keeps that focus. That it's all about Jesus and not about himself. Stephen's opposition. In verse 9, I believe it is found. The verse 9, 6, 9. is his opposition that around. Understand. If you're going to be used of the Holy Spirit, and if God's favor is going to rest on you and God's grace is there and power is there to live this Christian life, you're going to have opposition. Now, a lot of us don't want the power of God to rest upon us and to be used in our lives because we don't want the what? Yeah. 
me. But if you are a person full of faith, and you are a person who has power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find opposition. If you're going to do works of wonders and of miracles, there's going to be opposition. Who is his opposition? Jews of Serenia, North Africa, a Jewish colony followed their own laws, not the laws so much of the Jews there in Jerusalem. Now understand something. Every one of these groups had their own synagogue in Jerusalem because of what they taught that may have been different than what the teaching was in Jerusalem. Each one of them because of their location, had mingled into their Judaism some of the philosophy of the area in which they lived in. And when they came to Jerusalem, usually they will also have their own synagogue because all Jews had to at least come to Pentecost or that was their desire to get there like the Muslims like to get to Mecca once in their life. And the Jews would come from far-reaching countries. But they had a synagogue right there also in Jerusalem. One historian says there were over 480 synagogues in Jerusalem. Over 480 synagogues. That's like us with all of our different denominations in some ways. With these different groups. But yet, all Jews were all Christians. Simon, was care, who carried the cross for Jesus, was also from Cyrenia, North Africa. The Jews from Alexander, a great city on the Mediterranean Sea, second to Rome in wealth, but also was most likely the most educated group of that time. For they were collectors of books and they had the largest library of that time. And they were learners. And they saw themselves higher in their learning than the Jews in Jerusalem. Because of their vast wealth of education and books and so forth. Also, in 285, that's where the Greek Septuagint was written. Whereas that Septuagint is taking the Hebrew, translating it over into the Greek. So that's what we use today a lot in translating Old Testament, is the Greek Septuagint that is a translation of the Hebrew. And it was written there in Alexander in 285. Cilicia, a southern Asian minor, Jews who stayed after the Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> and they are there. It may be also where Paul was born. And then it talks about Asia. Asia. Seslucus, a Macedonian general, encouraged the Jews to settle in the towns of Asia by giving them freedom of the city and the status as the same as the Macedonians and the Greeks, setting them free, really. So he got these four opposition, and the scripture says these are the four groups that opposed him. It was not the local Jews that were opposing him. Why? He grew up with them guys. These guys pretty much knew him. But the group who opposes him are these somewhat outsiders. Why? Because maybe some of their followers had accepted the way. And you'll find these groups mentioned there at Pentecost, Acts 2, where 3,000 were saved in one day. Maybe some of their friends, maybe some of those who had came were saved. And they were upset now. Because you're misleading their friends. You're misleading somebody. 
And they oppose Stephen. Learn the five books of Moses. One of the things Stephen put to heart. He learned those five books. We can learn and we can have knowledge. And it's good to express our knowledge and what we have learned. But what is far better than what we have learned and sometimes our knowledge when we're speaking is when the Holy Spirit speaks. And we hear him and we speak it. Learn to trust his faith and the person of the Holy Spirit. How many of you really trust your faith? If God said it, I can stand on it. If God gives me a word, I can believe it. I don't have to waver. I believe what God's word says. Now understand this about believing God's word. It doesn't mean he'll bring it to pass in your lifetime. He may do it. He may not. The question is, will you believe it? And will you trust? Have you learned to trust the person of the Holy Spirit that God has placed in your life? See, see, that's something we all have to learn to do is to trust the teacher, the Holy Spirit. Why? He's still teaching. He's still teaching. He's still teaching. In Acts 6, 9, he says, they argued with Stephen. Let's go there. In 6, 9. It says, the last part of 9 says, these men begin to argue with Stephen. They begin to argue with him fiercely. Because what Stephen was teaching and what Stephen was doing, they're arguing over how Stephen is talking about this Jesus and witnessing for Jesus. If you get on the job and you witness for Jesus, you're going to have some arguments. If you get in a place where you really stand up for Jesus, you're going to have some people who will oppose you. And it says that they argue. Now here comes the trusting of the Holy Spirit. Because see, people will try to beat you down. People will even try to get you to just shut up. And people will try to get you to come to a place that you will think about what you're saying. Is it really true or not? And they will try to back you off from what you're holding to be truth. Look what it says. Here's where the Holy Spirit really comes in. In this area, it says, But they could not stand up against the wisdom of Stephen. But where did that wisdom come from? Or the Spirit by whom he spoke? By the Spirit of whom he spoke. He did not just grab this wisdom out of the air. It was of the Spirit that gave him wisdom on how to address these men. How to stand firm with these men. That after you've done all else, do what? Just stand. And it says, he spoke as the Spirit led him to speak. Not something that he studied at this point. But something that the Spirit spoke through him. And we're going to even see that further. Because sometimes we will question that. Because the only thing we think God will use sometimes is just his written word. And we can only speak that. God digs into a person's life 
God says his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the very hearts and the thoughts of men. Who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that word. And he said he spoke by the Spirit as the Spirit led him to do so. And we need to recognize they could not stand up against him. When you speak God's truth, no one can stand against you. That's not saying they won't oppose you. But they can't really stand against you. And we need to understand that. Because they could not defeat him in argument, they came up with a lie. When people cannot defeat you in life itself, they'll come up with a lie against you to defeat you. They'll come up with some kind of story that isn't really true. They'll fabricate something against you. Why? Their goal is to see you fall at any cost. It's not about telling the truth. Their goal is just to see you fall. They don't want to see you stand. And however they can get you to fall, they'll do it. And it says in that verse 11 that they fabricated this lie and said that he blasphemed against Moses. Therefore, they know what they're setting up also. Now understand, Satan is no fool. Don't count him as a dummy. These folks who say they knocked Satan out, they ain't did nothing to Satan. You don't kick Satan nowhere. And Michael the archangel says he wouldn't rebuke Satan. Who? Jesus. And if we rebuke Satan, it better be in Jesus' name, not in your own power. And they set up this lie. And what happens to Stephen is that he winds up before the council, the Sanhedrin. Now understand, they said he blasphemed against Moses. He's going to the Sanhedrin. Who is the largest group in the Sanhedrin? The Sadducees. And the Sadducees only hold to what? The five books of Moses. You think the guy being set up? (laughs) They know what he's doing. The Pharisees are there, yes. But the largest controlling group is the Sadducees on the Sanhedrin. And they only believe the first five books of Moses. So their charge is, he blasphemed against Moses. Now the Sanhedrin's ears are all open. As he goes before this council. Stephen from chapter 7-2 to 7-50 reveals his knowledge of those five books and the laws of Moses. We're not going to run through them, but I want you to catch something. He knew it. He took time to study it. For that as he stood before those who challenged him... He was able to start and give them the whole life of Moses. And all what took place. He was able to cite scripture for them. Out of those five books. Why? He has studied and he has prepared himself. Are you prepared? Have you studied? Could you give an answer? See, when the opposition comes, the only protection you really have is God's word. Because that's truth. That's a sure foundation. It's truth. And when you speak God's truth, it becomes God's responsibility to take care of you. And he'll do it every time. 
But when you get into verse 51, what I want you to see is the courage now of Stephen, and not so much Stephen speaking now, as the Holy Spirit speaking. From 7-2 all the way up to this point, boy, yes, the Holy Spirit's using Stephen, but Stephen's reciting what? That which he has put to memory from Scripture, which is a good thing. But it was not the Scripture, per se, that got the men all in a knot. It was this added truth that he spoke. It was the added truth that the Holy Spirit now begins to speak to these men. And the Holy Spirit begins to mirror them and show them themselves. And I want you to understand something. It took some courage of Stephen to speak what the Holy Spirit is leading him to say. Because up to this part, you might be able to say, hey, this brother was getting over. He got their attention. Why? He's reciting these five books of Moses. But then when he leaves those five books of Moses and begin to speak to the heart, and sometimes you can be with Christians, and Christians are good for this. As long as you quote and stretch out, Amen! Amen! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Boy, you said the truth there. But then when the Holy Spirit pierces into their life and their heart, all of a sudden it stops. All of a sudden it stops. Because now you're mirroring the person by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's revealing something. And, and Stephen just takes courage in that whole area now. 751. It says, you stiff-necked people. Now that takes some courage. You're telling the Sanhedrin. You're telling the educated ones. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. You're telling the top of the crop of the religious group in Jerusalem. You stiff-necked. You stiff-necked. And then he really gets them when he says you're uncircumcised in heart and ear. He already knows they're circumcised. Why? They're going to follow the law. They're going to be circumcised like they should. Why? They're the seed of Abraham. They're going to do all what the law says about circumcision. But he doesn't talk about that circumcision. He talks about the circumcision of the heart and the ear to hear what God says. And he speaks there. This is not Stephen. This is the Holy Spirit. Stephen being obedient to the Holy Spirit. A man full with the Spirit. And he says, <clears throat> your uncircumcised heart. Who can only give that information but the Holy Spirit? Because, see, we don't know each other's what. And isn't that what people always tell you? You don't know my heart. When they want you off their case, you don't know my heart. You don't really know what I believe. Yeah, you do. If you look at your old raggedy life, we can tell something about it. Because we know this, you ain't following what you say you believe. You know? But see, the Holy Spirit knows the heart. God knows the heart. And he, reveal, he begins to reveal the heart. You're uncircumcised in your heart. And then he says the ear. For faith cometh by hearing. But if you refuse to hear it. And a lot of people sit in church refusing to hear what God says. 
And and Stephen, just think, from 7-2 all the way up to this point, has shared with them about Moses. But now he's saying, hear what the Spirit says about you. You're stiff-necked. You're going to have it your way. You're not going to listen to God. Your heart's not for God, even though you wear all the religious garment. Your heart's not after God. And a lot of times we can wear the religious garment and we can talk the religious jargon, but our hearts are not after God. And what God is looking at is the heart, not our mouths. Our hearts. For our mouths can be saying one thing while our hearts are a thousand miles away from God. And he goes on and he says, now, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Boy. Stephen says, you're not fighting against who? Me. You're not resisting me. You're resisting the one who is able to save you. You're resisting the one who's going to really share truth with you. You're resisting the one who will really teach you and reveal Christ to you. You're resisting the one who has been appointed to convict you of your sin. You're resisting him. You're resisting him. You're not resisting me. And you and I need to understand that. When we're witnessing and we're talking to people about Christ and they don't want to hear it, they're not resisting who? They're resisting the Spirit of God. Who is the Spirit of truth. Who wants to share truth with them. And he goes on and he says... Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Now he's getting into Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Boy, that's got to be some statement to the heart. You betrayed the one you say that you love. Jehovah God. You would not accept the messenger, Jesus. You would not hear his words. And you betrayed him by killing him. This is what you have done. You have received, I'm sorry. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 53. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not what? Obeyed it. You haven't obeyed it. How many of you really obey scripture? How many of us stand on scripture? Don't stand on it unless you're going to obey it. If you're going to trust it, you're going to quote it. You're going to let people know where you stand. You're going to let people know why there's hope that is in you. You're going to let them know what you believe your God is able to perform and able to do. I was telling my doctor... Your job is to take care of me, but you've been assigned to me by God. (laughs) But he's the ultimate healer. (coughs) And God already gave me my next little statement to him when I go visit him, because he's just starting. He's kind of like taking his father's place, and uh, him and I are building a relationship. And God has said, next time you visit, next time you go, you tell him. 
His first duty is to his wife and his home, not to his profession. And and I'm going to let Eric know that. Because sometimes we can give more time to our profession than to our what? Yeah. And here's the Holy Spirit ministering now. Through Stephen to these individuals. Remember, Stephen is a man full of the Spirit. This is Stephen exercising his faith. And understand this. It takes faith to carry out what you believe the Holy Spirit is saying to you. It takes faith. Because we worry about looking like a fool. We're worried about, did God really say that? (laughs) It takes faith to carry out what the Holy Spirit is declaring and see if it comes to pass as the Holy Spirit has spoken. Now, something takes place in 54 and 57. They become furious. Those who were listening became furious. And it says they gashed at him with their teeth. Have you ever been around a growling dog? That's what they're doing. They are furious. Not about his words from 7-2 to 50 about Moses. What they're furious about is this last little part of what he had said about them. And they're ready to destroy him. And it says, they were furious. It says, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him. They all were furious They covered their ears. They're yelling at him. They're gashing their teeth up in 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he spoke. He spoke. He spoke. Now, this is their reaction. People, don't get your eyes so much on the reaction of your audience. Sometimes as speakers, we do that. And we see you get jubilant over something we say. We try to get something else jubilant to get you going again. Then we try to get you a little more. You know. Stay in tune with what the Spirit is doing in your life. Don't lose that. Stay focused on Jesus. And it says, though they are doing all this yelling, though they are furious, go back up in 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy, Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So, although they're doing all this yelling, they're grinning their teeth and they're coming at him. Whoa. Where's his focus at? On Jesus. On Jesus. Keep your focus there. Not here. Here. See? And you need to really see that. Because, see, Stephen's in a heap of trouble, but he's not responding to his trouble. His focus is on Jesus. His focus is on Jesus. Stephen is looking up into heaven, and guess what God does? He just rolls it back for him. You don't think God knows what's going on? But at that moment, God holds Stephen's attention. You can be in a midst of trouble and turmoil, and God if you allow him, will grab your attention that you're not worried about what other folks are doing. 
And that's where you want to be. Because, see, when you put your eyes on other people, you start reacting to them rather than being obedient to God. And oftentimes that's what happens in a marriage. We lose our, what, focus on Jesus and we become so focused on our mate and what they're doing that it causes us to make bad decisions rather than really hearing from Jesus and keeping our focus on him. We do that with our money. Because money becomes more important now. Jesus becomes secondary. No, my focus is on Jesus, not the money. We do that with our so-called personalities. If I don't have enough people liking me, I'm in the dumps. If I got a lot of people liking me and telling me how well I'm doing and applauding me, I'm up on high mountain. Jesus, Jesus, focus on Jesus. When you drop down in 59, what is Stephen doing? Boy, he's not trying to tell the crowd not to rush at him, not to throw stones at him, not to do this. Stephen's what? He's praying. He's praying. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He wasn't yelling to the crowd, stop it, stop stoning, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll surrender. If you want me to denounce Jesus, I'll do that. If you want to say that, boy, I blasphemed Moses, I'll do that. Just stop stoning me. No, what did he do? He prayed. And that's hard sometimes. When people are taking advantage of you, people are beating up on you, People are misusing you and abusing you. Sometimes that's the hardest time to pray. But that's when we need to pray. God, give me favor with them. God, give me victory over them. God, help me to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Because, see, if they were really Christ-centered, Lord, they wouldn't do this. He's praying. He's praying. You're talking about breakthroughs. If you want a breakthrough, learn how to pray through. You pray through your situations. You pray through your problems. You pray through whatever is taking place. You pray through it with a focus on Jesus. And you believe in him all the way through. And then the last one. Scripture says that we would be made into the image of Christ. That we would look like Christ. In that verse 60. Look at Stephen's focus. It's not on himself. It's not about delivering me. It's not Lord stop the stones. In verse 60 it says. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who is he more worried about? Himself or them? You and I need to get to a place to understand this very vital truth. If I'm saved, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I'm going where? But those that I'm dealing with who are unsaved. And Stephen see a bunch of Pharisees, religious folks on their way to hell. And he's not worried about himself. He knows where he's going. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. He knows where he's going. But it's those that are lost. That he's praying for. Lord don't hold this charge against them. Don't act against them Lord. On my behalf. Because if they lose their life right now. They go where? Straight to hell. Lord don't hold this charge against them. How many of you could pray for one. Who is stoning you. Beating you. Misusing you. 
And see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in you that you begin to release when you can pray for that one. There's no use complaining. Don't throw your stones at me. They're going to keep on throwing them. Don't call me that name. They're going to keep calling you names. Don't do that to me. They're just going to keep on doing it. But when you start praying over them, when you submit them into the hands of God for God to deal with them, to bring them to a saving knowledge of himself, boy, that makes a big difference. And he says, Lord, don't hold them. Don't hold this against them. And look what happens. You'll also find that with Jesus in Luke 23. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. Now catch this last verse in closing. It simply says, when he said this, he fell asleep. Was Stephen faithful to the end? What did God ask us to do? Be faithful to the end. Did he learn to listen to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Did God work in Stephen until he took him out of here? Yes. People, we're living in what some folks would say the last days. And I know you've heard this over and over. But look at it from this frame of mind too. These may be your last days because of your age. These may be your last days because you don't know what tomorrow holds for you. And my question to you is this. Are you faithful to God in this time? Are you faithful to God in this time? Don't be faithful to Pastor Brown. Don't be faithful to a church or denomination. You are only accountable to be faithful to one person. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. Stephen wasn't faithful to the apostles per se. He wasn't faithful in a sense to those who appointed him to distribute food. Jesus wasn't faithful to the council or the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees. Stephen came to a place in his life that he was totally faithful to the one who had saved him, Jesus. Who are you faithful to? And who are you allowing to lead your life? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for giving us a person like Stephen in our lives. For he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher per se. He wasn't an elder. He really held no title other than what he was elected to, to distribute food. But your word says that he did miraculous signs. Your word says he was a man of faith, full of the Spirit. We don't need titles to be filled with the Spirit. We don't need titles, Lord, to do miraculous works. We just need a heart that is in love with Jesus. To be able to stand and be used of your spirit and to speak the truth as your spirit leads us and guides us. Lord, may you bless each and every one of us. 
And Lord, the quality of a Stephen that you molded, those qualities and character that you built in a Stephen, we're going to ask, oh God, that you do that for us. That those qualities that are in Stephen would be placed in our lives. That we would be men and women who are faithful. We would be men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We would be men and women who are people who live by faith. That we would be men and women. That no task is too low or too high. Because you will give us the ability. Lord, speak to us right now. If there's something that we need to be set free of, Lord, set us free in the name of Jesus. If there's something in our life, oh Lord, we need to surrender and and give it up to you, Lord, because Lord, we've wrestled with it. May this be the moment that we just give it to you, that we can totally be filled of your spirit. And Lord, fill us with your faith. For Romans says, 12, Lord, that you give us a measure of faith. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith that we might be able to walk holy with you. That we might be a people who are truly of God. But people who know, as we sung about earlier, You've laid your hand on us. That we will know that, Lord, your hand is upon us. As it was upon Stephen. In Jesus' name, amen.